sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Hello and welcome to my study. Please do come in and have a seat. Uh, all these books you're looking at are used to research our show. And uh, this uh, individual here to my right, along with uh, managing uh, domestic duties, serves as our reader for any uh, passages that will be uh, directly quoted from these sources. Uh, her name is Mrs. Carswell. Hello. Good to have you back. Is it? Never mind. I'm just happy to be back. I, I should have just said that. Just say what you say. This is our spontaneous bit. Uh, people like spontaneity in podcasts, I'm told. You mean they like to hear us argue? Because that's what it usually seems to be. Not really. I'm afraid so. Well... See? There! Mother says all we do is argue. I thought she didn't listen or couldn't figure out... Podcasts? My uncle showed her. She says my elocution has slipped. I don't think so. Look, I know I got a bit huffy about you leaving abruptly before the last show, but I just wanted to be sure you were giving me the real reason. And you assume it was Mr. Petrovich? Well, the thing is, we can't be sure that was him. I should explain to listeners that the night before Mrs. Carswell left... Uh, we were out burning the brush Mr. Petrovich had uh, cleared, and, uh, well, we had an odd experience. With Mr. Petrovich showing up? Or we believe it was him. He, he didn't show himself, but there was some um, uh, shouting from the uh, adjacent woods across the fence. Nothing we could understand, but it sounded like it could have been Serbian. The voice was similar, but... More horse. He's not supposed to be around here at night. No, and he's on leave now anyway, since he can't do anything more outside with the, the weather like it is. It wasn't something I was happy about. All that wild shouting. I think he drinks. Probably. I think he was just waiting there for us to go inside so he could get to the hives. To get honey. He probably wants to make mead. No, honey. He wants the honey. There's something bear-like about him. I think he's camping in the woods. Oh, well, that wouldn't be good. Uh, it's illegal. He's somehow bear-like. Don't gypsies train bears? Well, we never figured out if he was actually a gypsy. But anyway, I was right. It was Mr. Petrovich, the reason you had to uh, suddenly flee? Well, it was my first Valentine's away, and Mother did appreciate the visit. And she can hear we didn't really argue in this segment, so uh, that seems a good place to leave off and uh, start the uh, scripted bit of the show, which is episode 43, Dead Teeth, Fairies, Rats, and Worms. Uh... 
I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this show, Bone and Sickle, explores the intertwining of horror and folklore in a historical context. I started the show as a way to uh, further examine this area of intersection after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors, who receive a number of monthly rewards, including the aforementioned book. And uh, until uh, March 15th, we do also have a special offer, reward, for new signups at the uh, $4 and up level. And for those who uh, boost uh, existing pledges uh, at the $4 and up level, it's a collection of folk ballads, including the murder ballads from our last show, as well as a few dozen others from previous shows. I'll have more on Patreon and all this at the end of the show. Is the tooth fairy scary? Why should she be scary? You need sugar to keep yourself safe. At least that's what I've heard, that's what I read is, for some reason, sugar will keep you safe from the tooth fairy. From the font, I have no idea. Tomorrow I'll tell you all about the tooth fairy. But it already came. Open your mouth, my child. And we shall she bought these from some of the other children. They're for the fairy. My daughter's behaviour is completely out of character. She's obsessed with this fairy. She wants her to. Perhaps you knew or expected that there would be a tooth fairy horror film or two. But there are, in fact, four and counting. The uh, first was Darkness Falls, a 2003 American-Australian production presenting the Tooth Fairy as a sort of uh, masked and disfigured Phantom of the Opera type, burned at the stake 150 years ago, and now risen to take revenge via lethal tooth extraction, of course. In 2006, another film simply called The Tooth Fairy gave us another killer with a similar modus operandi, uh, all done up as sort of dark urban legend that just happens to be true. And then in 2013, a similar production called The Haunting of Helena uh, sets the story in Italy, but it's also another bloodthirsty, tooth-snatching ghost. Then there's a 2019 production called Tooth Fairy, no, the... Uh, it also uh, uses the uh, urban legend come to life shtick. And a sequel to this is expected in July of this year, which is surprising because it was hardly well received. A uh, response to all these films from critics and audiences alike has ranged really from grudgingly lukewarm to beyond scathing. In 2016, the Sci Fi Channel premiered a series called Candle Cove, which offered glimpses of a mysterious Tooth Fairy-like character, one rather spectacularly costumed head-to-toe in human teeth. Apparently this was a form taken by a murderous and deceased child whose spirit is somehow encouraging and feeding off of a new rash of child homicides in the community. The storyline also involves a creepy 1970s kids show used to brainwash children. Show you exactly what to do. Percy, come in. Come 
While the uh, plotting of the series is rather murky, it does manage to exploit something these other uh, Tooth Fairy horror films surely hoped for but failed to capture, and that is the uh, psychological vulnerability of childhood. The show, Candle Cove, is actually an adaptation of a story from Creepypasta, that uh, online body of horror tales that gave a slender man and other evolving forms of dark folklore. Being closer to the uh, folkloric mode than most screenwriters' efforts, Creepypasta often is more successful in expressing uh, raw and uh, unconscious fears. And along with Candle Cove, countless other stories casting the Tooth Fairy as a terrifying being can be found in collections of uh, creepypasta lore. And it's not surprising, really. Despite the small cash payout left under the pillow, the custom involves a number of disconcerting things. A nighttime intruder, a deception by parents to which the child may or may not be oblivious, and then the issue with the tooth itself, that is, uh, part of the body dying and falling away. It is a uh, psychoanalytic given, after all, that dreams of teeth falling out represent death. The death of those uh, baby teeth, then, is just a sort of foreshadowing of what's to come. So, it's no wonder a certain unease surrounds this uh, creature that comes under the cover of night to buy body parts from young children. Hooray, I'll get a shiny dime for that tooth I lost today. Wiggle, 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 I have a shiny dime today. While we will be getting into some related customs that do go quite a bit further back, the Tooth Fairy, as we know the custom, is surprisingly new and distinctly American. The first mention in print appears in a uh, Household Hints column from a 1908 edition of the Chicago Daily Tribune. Many a refractory child would allow a loose tooth to be removed if he knows about the Tooth Fairy. If he takes his little tooth and puts it under the pillow when he goes to bed, the Tooth Fairy will come in the night and take it away, and in its place will leave some little gift it is a nice plan for mothers to visit the five-cent counter and lay in a supply of articles to be used on such occasions. Not much more is heard of the figure until the 1920s. In 1926, the uh, South Bend Tribune reported on a meeting of the local women's club in which mothers discussed how they used fairy lore in child rearing. This included the uh, familiar uh, teeth for cash tooth fairy exchange, but there were some other less standard figures that haven't really survived. The measles fairy, the chicken pox fairy, the vaccination fairy, and a number of other fascinating personages came to light. The measles fairy, one young mother explained, comes as soon as the wee invalid breaks out. Likewise, the chicken pox fairy comes at that particular time to make life more endurable for the sick child. A gift is left beneath the pillow as proof of the fairy's visitation. I also see one other early mention of the Tooth Fairy in an interesting context. It's a 1933 story syndicated in a number of newspapers in which a uh, Catherine Winecoop recollects her childhood and mentions... Going through some of Mother's things the other day, I came upon a box containing small teeth 
and several crumpled notes addressed to Mr. Tooth Fairy in large childish handwriting. And uh, now that context, uh, Catherine's mother was Alice Winecoop, a physician well known for her advocacy of progressive causes and her lectures on child health, education, and uh, the virtue of adoption. But it was not these that uh, prompted the article, but Alice Winecoop's murder of her daughter-in-law. The uh, young woman was found with a bullet in her back and chloroform burns around her mouth and nose, uh, stretched out on a table in Dr. Alice Winecoop's basement surgery clinic. Winecoop had taken her time notifying police and then offered several bizarre theories as to the murder and eventually confessing, but later retracting her confession to the crime. The uh, sentimental collection of baby teeth and the tooth fairy notes her daughter found while going through her mother's belongings happened uh, after Winecoop had been shipped off to prison and her, I guess her daughter was straightening things up. Um, a bit of a tangent here, I guess, but uh, obviously Winecoop's early embrace of this fairy tradition did nothing to slow its building momentum, and the figure is today the object of celebration on not one but two National Tooth Fairy Days, August 22nd and February 28th, coincidentally, more or less the release date for this episode. So with this idea that I mentioned of Americans assuming all of our traditions come from Europe, uh, many writers will point to a particularly old precedent in the uh, ancient Norse and Icelandic concept of the tanfia, which means tooth fee or uh, tooth gift. The term appears all the way back in the uh, poems of the uh, Norse Eddas, uh, such as the uh, 10th century poem Grimnismal, in which uh, the dwelling place of the light elves, Alfheim, is uh, given to the god Frey as a tooth gift. As you might guess, the tooth gift concept here is uh, pretty far from the bit with the cash left by the fairy for the tooth. First, there is no magical buyer, nor was the gift given on the occasion of losing the tooth, but when the child cuts his first tooth. An old Viking artifact, presumably given as a tooth gift, um, a set of uh, hammered gold medallions in the uh, collections of a Copenhagen museum, is described by the archaeologist and philologist George Steffens in his 1868 book, The Old Northern Runic Monuments of Scandinavia and England. Um, in this description, he notes that the custom, the tooth gift custom, still exists in many parts of Scandinavia, but that in uh, certain places the gift is not given the teething child, but is... The husband's present to his wife for all the trouble and anxiety she has had in watching and tending her infant through the pains of its first teething. In Sweden, it is very commonly a present to the mother or the nurse. Stevens and others regard this ancient tooth fee custom as something that in the Christian era evolved into gifts given by the godparents upon a child's christening. Rather than some cheap baubles for the child's entertainment, these gifts tend to be geared towards uh, ensuring a successful future, something a bit more serious and enduring. The uh, same might be said of the uh, tooth gift mentioned in the uh, 13th century saga Heimskringla. Uh, there we read that the uh, Norwegian king Håkon Sirkutsun received a slave who happened to be born on the same day, a slave for life, so uh, 
pretty enduring. Or uh, in Finland, I also find a mention in a 19th century travelogue of the gift being a reindeer, a, a likewise substantial, if not quite as enduring gift in that reindeer herding culture. While a custom uh, virtually identical to the American tooth routine exists in modern Scandinavia, one would be really hard-pressed to definitively connect it to the old Nordic uh, tooth gift tradition, much less uh, to connect the American iteration. So uh, let's look at another bit of lore uh, where we uh, find some more easily documented parallels with our American uh, tooth fairy. This uh, 1991 song by Argentine singer Flavia Palmiero is about that character, El Raton Perez, or Perez the Mouse. In uh, pretty much any Spanish-speaking country you can name, he's the one who exchanges children's teeth for little gifts. A character by this name appeared in a collection of Andalusian folk tales published in 1877, but he had no particular uh, association with teeth, that is, until he was borrowed by the uh, Jesuit author Louis Coloma. In 1894, uh, Queen Maria Cristina asked him to write a story for her eight-year-old son, Alfonso XIII, who had just lost a tooth. The character's uh, imaginary place of residence in Madrid is even marked by a commemorative plaque, and there's a small museum dedicated to him with uh, memorabilia, including milk teeth that fell from the jaws of famous people, including Beatrix Potter, Beethoven, and Isaac Newton. Though he may have given the character a name, it doesn't seem Coloma himself created this connection between mice and lost teeth, as it's widespread in other countries, including Italy, Germany, Scotland, Slovenia, Lithuania, and France, where the children sing about uh, La Petite Souris, the little mouse. And in Hungary, the lyrics of uh, this song about the mouse... They repeat an idea also in the very earliest reference I find to mice and children's teeth. It's not about the mouse leaving money for a shed tooth, but instead providing a strong adult tooth in return. The reference is from an English book on folk customs called Remains of Gentilism and Judaism, written by the antiquarian John Aubrey in 1687. Aubrey reports that a German associate of his informs him that in that country, Some women will bid their children to take the tooth, which has fallen or taken out, and go to a dark corner of the house or parlor, and cast the same into it, thereby saying these words, Mouse, here I give thee a tooth of bone, but give thou me an iron tooth, believing that another good tooth will grow in its place. The idea of a superior, metaphorically iron tooth would be a natural association with mice known for their uh, prominent, tirelessly gnawing teeth. Uh, related customs from a variety of regions recommend tossing the child's tooth behind a stove where uh, resident mice keeping themselves warm might carry it off. And even more widespread is the idea of depositing the tooth directly in the mouse's hole, should you be able to find one. A custom more widespread in England is also discussed in the same book. When children shed their teeth, the women used to wrap or put salt about the tooth, 
and so throw it into a good fire. This uh, practice seems to have survived into at least the late 19th century and is occasionally found in other countries such as uh, Switzerland. Sidney Odell in his uh, 1895 book, with a long name, uh, Household Tales with Other Traditional Remains Collected in the Counties of York, Lincoln, Derby, and Nottingham, records in that book, with a long name, a sort of prayer recited with this action. If your tooth comes out, put some salt on it and say, Good tooth, bad tooth. Pray God send me a good tooth. Then throw the bad tooth into the fire, and a good tooth will come in its place. In East Riding, they eat sugar when a tooth is pulled out, and throw the tooth into the fire, saying, Fire, fire, here's a bone. Pray God send a tooth again. There are a number of reasons that the tooth must be ritually destroyed. An 1879 edition of the Journal of the British Folklore Society names one. My Sussex correspondent tells me of a young woman of that country who remonstrated against throwing away children's cast teeth, declaring that should they be found and gnawed by any animal, the child's new tooth would be like the one of that animal. In proof of her assertion, she used to cite a certain old Master Simmons, who had a very large pig's tooth in his upper jaw, the sad consequence of his mother having by accident thrown one of his cast teeth into the hog trough. Another more common reason for destroying the tooth would be the same that would apply for other uh, parts of the body, like clipped hair or nail parings, or, or for that matter, articles uh, intimately connected to an individual, such as uh, pieces of clothing or shoes or handkerchiefs, and that would be their use in witchcraft as a symbolic connection to a victim over whom spells might be cast. Even without this uh, personalized connection to a uh, victim for the intended spell, body parts like teeth would still be very useful in witchcraft particularly if the object of the spell might be that part of the body, the teeth. Uh, for instance, the uh, 17th century Book of Magical Charms in Chicago's Newberry Library includes this helpful advice. For the toothache, take a tooth out of a dead man's skull and hang the same about the party's neck till the pain cease. Witches were widely believed to desecrate graves in search of skulls and teeth. Uh, in England's most famous witch trial, or trials, uh, that of the Pendle Witches of 17th century Lancashire, involved one such incident. Uh, testimonies allege that one of the defendants, an old mother Chaddox, had dug up three skulls in the churchyard of St. Mary and scavenged eight teeth, four of which were found in the possession of another defendant, James Devis, at the time of his arrest. Teeth from graveyard skulls seem to have been uh, coveted right up into the 19th century. In an 1838 collection of letters from Anna Elizabeth Bray to the poet Robert Southey, Bray notes a local superstition in Devonshire. Take an old skull found in the churchyard, bite a tooth out of it, and keep it in your pocket all the year round, and nevermore will you have pain in your teeth or gums. And she adds that the acquaintance who had told her of this belief came running in and said if I wanted to see the old custom she had told me of. I had only to go to the churchyard. In making a grave, several skulls had been dug up, 
and there was going on such a scene as she had never before witnessed. Men and women tugging with their mouths at every tooth they could find left to cure them. Sadly, Mrs. Bray did not go to witness the scene herself, but should there be any doubt uh, that such things took place, I find a uh, virtually identical scene reported in an even later 1897 edition of Dental Record, a monthly journal of dental science, art, and literature. It describes an incident occurring somewhere in Ireland where a grave has been recently excavated, scattering old skulls about. A respectable young girl took up one and tried to pull a tooth from it with her own teeth. Failing in this, she tried another skull and succeeded in forcibly extracting one. She explained to a bystander that it was to cure a toothache. Nowadays, one need not fight for skulls in a graveyard when seeking human teeth for magical use. They can easily be purchased online. A uh, quick search I did revealed an Etsy seller offering a uh, human tooth tagged... Necromancy. Left-hand path. Black magic. Luciferian witchcraft. Make jewelry. And more. However, their price of... uh, 1572 plus shipping is uh, put to shame by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company offering a human tooth for a mere $9 flat. It's for use in justified revenge and black arts work. A visit to the dentist. A visit to the dentist. Now, since we've been talking about witchcraft, and since dentistry and witchcraft in medieval times could be difficult to distinguish, and because there's some rather ghastly dentistry lore I think uh, bone and sickle listeners might enjoy, Mrs. Carswell and I will uh, share a passage or two on this. The primary culprit when it came to bad teeth in the Middle Ages was the toothworm, an imaginary creature which gnawed at the roots of teeth belief in this uh, worm as the cause of dental caries and toothache continued as late as the 14th century and stretches all the way back to the Babylonians. Uh, We find a bit of an origin story for the uh, dreadful worm in a cuneiform tablet titled The Legend of the Worm. The worm went weeping before Shamash. What wilt thou give me for my food? What wilt thou give me for my sucking? I shall give thee the ripe fig and the apricot. Of what use are they to me, the ripe fig and the apricot? Lift me up, and among the teeth and gums, the blood of the tooth I will suck, and of the gum I will gnaw its roots. Pliny and other Roman writers discuss the toothworm, but it's not clear whether their belief was a matter of cultural diffusion of this concept or somehow independent from the older uh, Babylonian belief. There is, after all, something uh, somewhat intuitive about this idea that might have caused it to arise spontaneously in cultures remote in time and place. Even today, in certain regions of China, the toothworm is supposed to be the cause of dental problems. It's also been suggested that the uh, worm-like pulp pulled from the core of a dead tooth might have looked like a worm and given rise to the notion. Let's look at a few specific dental techniques um, from the uh, 13th century Welsh collection known as the uh, Physicians of Madfai. 
Uh, here's one uh, suggested for toothache. Take a candle of sheep suet, some oringo seed being mixed therewith. That is, uh, seed from a type of holly. Burn it as near the tooth as possible, some cold water being held under the candle. The worms, destroying the tooth, will drop into the water in order to escape from the heat of the candle. Hmm, sounds dangerous. If you can't drive out the worm with this method, you can uh, hit him where he lives, that is, inside the little cavity hollowed in the tooth, uh, by doing this. Seek some ants with their eggs and powder them. Have this powder blown into the tooth through a quill, and be careful that it does not touch another tooth. If that doesn't work and the tooth dies, here's a suggestion for painless removal. Take some newts, by some called lizards, and those nasty beetles which are found in fens during summertime. Calcine them. That is, uh, oxidize them. Wet the forefinger of the right hand, insert it into the powder, and apply it to the tooth frequently, refraining from spitting it off. Then the tooth will fall away without pain. Oh, there you go. A uh, British text called the uh, Rosa Anglica, or uh, Practical Medicine from Head to Foot, uh, one compiled largely from classical sources by John of Gaddesden uh, between uh, 1304 and 1317, has some ideas. Not only does it suggest hanging the beaks of magpies around the neck to uh, cure tooth pain, but it offers a more exotic technique, one that seems to feature the centipede. With a needle, you are to prick a many-footed worm which rolls up in a ball when you touch it. Then the uh, aching tooth is to be pricked with that same centipede pricking needle. And then, naturally, the pain will be eased. Should this be unsuccessful and the rotted tooth need to go, the text suggests the application of the fat of green tree frog, dried cow dung, or partridge brains. This will cause it to fall out painlessly. The dentist has a special medicine. Should all else fail, one could always appeal to the saints. The most efficacious here would be Saint Apollonia, whose feast day happened to be this month on February 9th. She was an elderly member of a group of virgins put to death during an anti-Christian uprising in 2nd century Alexandria. Her connection to uh, tooth problems arises from the form taken by her martyrdom. Alban Butler's 1894 classic, Lives of the Saints, details this. Her teeth were beaten out. She was led outside the city. A huge fire was kindled, and she was told she must deny Christ or else be burned alive. She was silent for a while. And then, moved by a special inspiration of the Holy Ghost, she leaped into the fire and died in its flames. The uh, alleged teeth knocked out of the uh, holy woman's jaw are preserved in a number of churches worldwide, including the uh, Church of the Assumption in Rab, Croatia, uh, Germany's Cologne Cathedral, and in a chapel dedicated to her in Vienna, one built in fulfillment of a promise made by Ferdinand III during the uh, particularly difficult teething experience of his son, Leopold. 
During the reign of Henry VI, England seems to have been awash with these holy relics. The 1850 book Glimmerings in the Dark, or Lights and Shadows of the Olden Times, by uh, Frederick Merriweather, comments on this. It is said that Henry VI, disgusted at the excess of this superstition, ordered all who possessed teeth of that illustrious saint to deliver them to an officer appointed to receive them. Obedient crowds came to display their saintly treasures, and lo, a ton of the veritable teeth of Saint Apollonia were thus collected together. Were her stomach, says Fuller, the witty church historian, proportionate to her teeth, a country would scarce afford her a meal. In northern Italy, in Lombardy and Veneto, Apollonia still holds importance as the recipient of uh, milk teeth lost by children. And apparently in uh, Bavaria, at least at one time, the bead-like seeds of the common peony were called uh, Apollonia kerner, uh, Apollonia grains, and were uh, strung like beads to create protective necklaces worn by teething children or even given to them to chew, which is alarming as um, all parts of the peony are toxic. Speaking of holy teeth, I can't help but share this news story from August of 2014. Restoration experts in Mexico were left shocked after they discovered an 18th century statue of Christ contained real human teeth. We are talking here about an 18th century uh, life-size carving dubbed the Lord of Patience, uh, one normally displayed in a church in a small town about an hour north of Mexico City. As normally viewed, these teeth, which are barely visible through uh, slightly parted lips, are uh, themselves unremarkable, especially compared to the figure's uh, vivid representation of uh, bloody wounds inflicted during the uh, Passion. But when the statue was x-rayed as a routine part of the uh, restoration process, specialists from the National Institute of Anthropology and History recognized eight human incisors. It's believed they uh, came from a pious donor as a sort of uh, act of devotion. And while it's not unheard of for uh, Catholic icons to occasionally employ wigs of donated hair to add that extra bit of realism, this was the first time that the embellishment with human teeth was noted. A more common and pragmatic use of human teeth in earlier centuries was for the fabrication of dentures. While animal teeth were also used, the result was not as convincing as those obtained from humans. Waterloo teeth, as they were often called, were obtained from the jaws of slain soldiers littering battlefields, uh, most famously Waterloo. But uh, plier-toting scavengers on the battlefields were only one source for such teeth. They could also be pulled by other uh, unprincipled types coming in contact with corpses at the gallows, the mortuary, or dissecting rooms. And a more secretive but uh, likely more common supplier of these teeth would have been grave robbers for whom the teeth represented a particularly worthwhile investment of their time. Rather than troubling themselves to remove an entire body, the less difficult removal of a uh, severed head where the teeth alone might justify the time spent in uh, partially excavating a grave. And when bodies were found in a state too uh, decomposed to be useful in the anatomy classroom, the teeth still 
cleaned up nicely and remained a marketable commodity. Though porcelain teeth were invented in the early 1900s, corpse teeth still continued to find a place in the market and the mouths of the well-to-do until late in the century, perhaps more so in America, where barrels full were being shipped from the uh, corpse-strewn battlefields of the Civil War. And those famous wooden teeth worn by our founding president? No, not what, as you may have guessed. Washington had several sets variously made of brass, gold, hippopotamus teeth, and, of course, dead men's teeth. As we near the end of our episode, I thought I might say a little final something about teeth and the final judgment. While we've seen a lot of emphasis on getting rid of teeth, there's a contrary bit of lore suggesting that teeth should not be destroyed but kept, so that upon death they can be rejoined with the body, making it more intact for the final resurrection. While perhaps uh, best known thanks to the uh, Catholic ban on cremation, this idea that the body must be intact for a bodily resurrection is also ingrained as a uh, pre-Reformation memory in the uh, superstitions of Protestant lands, and it even can be found in Islamic regions. Uh, We have this uh, British example from the uh, previously cited 1848 book, Household Tales with Other Traditional Remains Collected in the Counties, etc. It was the custom in Derbyshire for people to preserve their teeth in jars until their deaths, after which the teeth were put into their coffins and buried with them. Mothers would also preserve the teeth of their infant children and keep them in jars. A man said that his grandmother used to call out at a funeral, Have you got his teeth in the coffin? Or, Don't bury him without his teeth! Sir James Fraser mentioned something similar in his classic 1890s survey of folklore and mythology, The Golden Vow. The Armenians do not throw away their extracted teeth, but hide them in places that are esteemed holy, such as a crack in a church wall, a pillar of the house, or a hollow tree. They think that all these severed portions of themselves will be wanted at the resurrection, and that he who has not stowed them away in a safe place will have to hunt about for them on the great day. Which brings us to a final modern example of uh, teeth stashed away in a building. This is disturbing. Mm. A strange find in downtown Valdosta, Georgia, and it was found in the wall of a building. Okay, so crews were renovating the building when they went to knock out a wall on the second floor, and that's when they found nearly 1,000 human teeth. Human teeth. Nearly 1,000 human teeth. Nearly I'm disturbed. The city is actually embracing the strange find. now embracing the strange find, holding a giveaway on social media. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't want to give away those teeth. They are put there for a reason. By a dentist, or dentists apparently, a little research into the building's history here revealed that for a few decades it was leased by dentists who clearly were men of foresight. We now know that when the dead wake up, they'd like to know where their teeth are. And for about a thousand of them, that would have been in a wall in Georgia until the meddling started. Anyway, I think we know how this movie ends. I hope 
hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that you might have the opportunity to share episodes with friends who might also be inclined to enjoy what we do. We particularly appreciate reviews as these are the best way to raise the show's profile on uh, Apple Podcasts and other outlets. If you've left a review, by all means, do let me know and I'll give you a little shout out. Our website, boneandsickle.com, provides links to our Facebook group, Twitter, and Instagram, along with show notes with uh, plenty of images and video links to uh, film trailers and clips and music that we use in the program. Music and sound design otherwise are all original for the show. You can also find our donor link on the site. Uh, Patreon members have a choice of rewards, including exclusive access to extra elements that go into the making of the podcast. Digital downloads of rare books used in the preparation of the show, the show soundscapes you hear in the background, my Krampus book, and a special handcrafted mystery kit mailed to our top-level donors. Also, we have that special I mentioned going till March 15th for new subscribers at the $4 and up level or current subscribers uh, at that level or above upping their pledge. They will receive an archive of the uh, folk ballads used in the show, not only the murder ballads from our last episode, but full-length versions of dozens of other songs we've uh, referenced in previous episodes. Donation levels begin at $1 a month, and your support via Patreon is the sole support that pays for the more than 100 hours of work that goes into each episode. And special thanks to our latest subscribers, Jessica Hensley, H.R. Price, Rick Rubio, uh, Caitlin Mulgard, and Emilio de Sousa. The show is written and produced by me, Al Reidenauer. Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>